0: Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. We are so pleased you have joined us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. So it will be me and our special guest, Aaron Blythe. He's the founder of Caregiving Kinetics. Uh, Dr. Bright has an EDD a degree in education, holds a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University, his master's from the University of Baltimore, and a doctorate degree from the George Washington University, where, as I mentioned to him off the air, I got my law degree at the GW National Law Center. Dr. Blight is a nationally recognized speaker and consultant on caregiving, aging, and health care, and the founder of Caregiving Kinetics, and has been recognized as the top one hundred healthcare leader by the International Forum on Advancements in Healthcare, and he's got a great topic today. Most folks who end up caregiving end up there, one might say, by accident. Grandma's in the ICU, your dad falls, he's in the hospital, your spouse has a problem, and suddenly, boom, you're a caregiver. And Aaron, thanks for joining us. Then what? Suddenly you're a caregiver, then what?
1: Well, a lot of times people don't really know what that means or the implications of it. And so it takes a lot of life adjustments. And I think, as you said, we're going to talk a little bit about planning, for caregiving. And if you're able to develop a plan, it's going to make the caregiving journey a little bit easier for you and your loved one.
0: And what kind of planning uh, should take place? Is it uh, obviously best to do it before you become a caregiver? But once you are a caregiver, I'm assuming you can still do that planning.
1: Yes. In fact, Ron, I think that you're always making plans and adjusting your plans over the course of caregiving, because as your loved one's needs change. The things that you have to do to meet those needs will also have to adopt, have to adapt and change as well. So there are a lot of things that you can do up front, even before the caregiving situation arises. And there was a, a recent article in the New York Times that I think you mentioned off, offline uh, that talks about the, the the things that you can do to plan for caregiving even right. before that season arises in your life. The um, AARP actually has a a pretty comprehensive guide for planning for caregiving, and you can download that on their website, and you you can answer the questions, and and it it helps you lay out the different responsibilities that might come up in a caregiving relationship and allocate time and resources and, and people to those different things.
0: And your own experience as a caregiver involved what?
1: Well, it was kind of like you said, Ron. It, huh? it just happened very suddenly, and I was relatively young. My mother-in-law got a brain tumor diagnosis. Oh, that just changed the course of our lives. We we were uh, parents of young children. Uh, we had three children under the age of six, seven. Wow. And my mother-in-law moved into our home because she had brain surgery and she was going through radiation and chemotherapy. And we just didn't know what we were getting into at all. We just knew that she needed help. That was the extent of our analysis. Mom needs help. We will help her. And And then what? Well, life was very different for us. It was very hard. I'm afraid I didn't do the best job as a caregiver during that period of my life, but it prompted me to change the course of my career, and I opened a home care company to help families like mine and have since studied caregiving and continue to study caregiving. And uh,
0: Let's begin with the beginning, and and for someone who is suddenly a caregiver, what would be that checklist that they should think about? And by the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Aaron Blight. Dr. Blight is the founder of Caregiving Kinetics, and we're talking about how to make that caregiving plan. So where do you begin? What do you need to know?
1: Well, I like to kind of make this a little bit simple on the front end and ask five simple questions. What care is required? When will care be needed? Where will it be received? Who will provide the support? And how are you going to pay for it? those are perfect those five questions. questions can be guiding overarching questions throughout the, the duration of your caregiving journey and the answers to those may change over time
0: let's take them one at a time sure so, so the what, first one
1: first one is what care is required
0: and what would that encompass
1: you know the the requirements of caregiving are always dictated by the health conditions of the care receiver so your loved one Um, may have physical or mental limitations. They could be caused by a chronic health condition. They could be based on an injury. They could be cognitive in nature, you know, people with Alzheimer's disease or um, traumatic brain injury. Um, But you're always going to be tailoring care supports to the needs of the care receiver. And this is a dynamic evolving situation. So what the supports that your loved one needs today may not be the support that they need tomorrow or 6 months from now or six, 6 years from now. So that's the first question is you know just what what care supports are required and you identify what what that might be. And then the question of when when will you have to provide those care supports? That's the the second one. Sometimes people can uh, survive on care that is provided in their home with a minimal level of support, maybe just a a weekly visit or maybe help with bill paying or, um, you know, things like that. But it could go all the way up to constant supervision. People with uh, moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease will probably need constant supervision. And so uh, that really affects the scheduling of the care. And next, number three is where will the care be received? That's a really important question, and um, the input of the care receiver is significant in this as well. We know, Ron, that about 9 out of 10 older adults prefer to stay at home. They are often resistant to the idea of moving into a facility, and so those wishes, those desires should probably be a consideration for you.
0: Yeah, they want to age in place.
1: Aging in place is is the big mantra, isn't it? So, Which isn't uh,
0: always good for them, by the way.
1: Not necessarily, especially if there are safety concerns, right. you know, being at home alone. But so that, that question, you know, where will it be received is, is, an, is a significant one because that might also affect the answer to uh, to the fourth question, which is who's going to provide the caregiving,
0: and in your own case, when you dealt with where will the care be provided, were there adjustments and changes you needed to make to your home to accommodate uh, your mother-in-law?
1: Not so much physical adjustments. Well, I guess there were physical adjustments. Yes, yeah, she she ended up uh, taking over uh, our family room, and and she occupied the the restroom there. So we lost the use of our family room, but we, we didn't have to make a lot of um, physical adjustments to with grab bars and things like that in the bathroom. Oftentimes, that's an important part of aging in place. Right. Just with simple modifications to the home, a person might be able to live there for much longer, even all the way up till, till their, their death. Um,
0: and, and then next.
1: The last question is, how are you going to pay for it? That's a killer. It can be a killer. It can be a very difficult thing for families to afford long-term care supports, especially if they are looking at, at outsourcing home care or facility-based care. It could cost uh, tens of thousands of dollars easily.
0: And when you had your home health care company, how did people pay for the service?
1: Well, the home care services are usually paid out of pocket by the the care receiver or their family, but there are also some third-party payment options. Uh, some people believe that health insurance will pay for uh, home care, and that is, that is not exactly true. It'll pay for skilled home health care and on a limited basis through Medicare during a, a rehabilitative period. But for the most part, um, the third party payers that would cover home care are long term care insurance companies and long term care insurance is a different type of insurance. And it actually is increasingly hard to obtain today. Those policies were sold quite a bit in the 80s and 90s. And the payouts on them uh, turned out to be a little bit higher than anticipated and astronomical. Astronomical. Yeah, it's uh, it's harder to to get long term care insurance today, but it is it is achievable. And when we talk about planning, Ron, that's a good idea. You know, before you need it, see if you can secure it, that long term care insurance.
0: Because by the time you need it, very few can afford it.
1: That's correct. You may not even be able to get it uh, at that point.
0: You're uninsurable.
1: Well, for, uh, we're talking about long term care insurance. Right. right? Yeah. Another uh, source of payment for veterans is uh, the veterans. Uh, there's a vet- there's a benefit for through the VA, and uh, veterans are able to access those services. People that are on Medicaid, this is not Medicare, but Medicaid for for lower income families uh, and individuals also may be able to receive support with home care.
0: And would you recommend in putting this kind of plan together? Uh can you do it on your own or is it helpful to get someone like you who wrote a book on this to help?
1: Well there there are definitely some care caregiving consultants out there that can help with this. There are books that are written. Uh there's also caregiver support groups. I'm a huge fan of caregiver support groups in the local community and also online. Some of those caregiver support groups can provide insights and resources and help you know what to expect and what to plan for. They might be organized around the health conditions of the care receiver. They might be organized geographically. Um, But uh, that's a great place to start.
0: Stay with me. We're going to come right back to you. We're delighted to have a chance to talk with Aaron Bright. Dr. Bright is founder of Caregiving Kinetics. His book, When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, spouse, or aging relative, and we'll share with you how you can get a hold of that if you'd like to. Meanwhile, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not-normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Appreciate you sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS on air. One quick correction. I've been calling Aaron by the wrong last name. It's Blight, B-L-I-G-H-T, and I apologize for that, and I'm glad you called it to my attention. He's founder of Caregiving Kinetics, and we're talking about how to make a caregiver plan. And you were mentioning to me off the air, uh, Aaron, uh, that there are documents that are available that you ought to consider uh, putting together as part of this Package.
1: Definitely. So there are some legal documents that are important to have in place for end of life situations. And those might be, uh, for example, a, a healthcare proxy, where you, if you are unable to make decisions, healthcare decisions for yourself, you are authorizing another person to make those decisions on your behalf.
0: So, like a medical power of attorney. Exactly. Yeah,
1: so that you—that's a—that's a document that you want to have in place uh, before you find yourself in a situation that you can't make the decisions and and nobody knows who to go to for for it.
0: And one important important point there, and we interviewed an ER nurse recently who said, when you do that designation, please be sure the person you've designated knows about it. And she re- she related <laughs> how on several occasions uh, she had called someone. Uh, talking about whether DNR was in place, whether to uh, unplug someone, and the designated individual had no idea they were the one.
1: Yeah, that's important. And the DNR is another document, a do not resuscitate order, where if your loved one does not wish to have life-saving efforts expended on their behalf, um, you want to have that in advance. And when the ambulance comes, if, if your loved one... Um, needs to have an ambulance called, they, they will ask for a DNR if there's, if one exists.
0: Right. And what else do you need?
1: Well, similar to a medical power of attorney would be a financial power of attorney, someone that could make financial decisions on your behalf. If you are unable to do so, Uh, of course, your last will and Testament that would allocate all of your assets and, and, uh, money and let people know how that should be distributed in the event of your death. So these are these are things that an estate lawyer could help you set up. There's also a document that um, is a little bit simpler and, and less expensive, and it's called Five Wishes. And chances are your local hospice agency will have this. If not, you can find it online. It's called Five Wishes, and it uh, lets you go through the uh, these important questions and it can become a legally binding document if it's properly notarized.
0: What are the wishes?
1: Oh, Ron, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> They're the basic questions about, you know, what what's important to you at the end of life, uh, planning for your care at the end of life, planning for your financial assets being distributed, planning for your funeral is another part of that. So, um, and I'm sorry, I don't have them off the top of my head. No, that's
0: all right. Uh, (laughs) But just Google five wishes and it'll pop up. Yes. For the individual who's listening, who uh, may have just become a caregiver, uh, you have a website they can go to for more information?
1: My website is caregivingkinetics.com. And that's caregiving, and that's K-I-N-E-T-I-C-S dot com. If you go to the blog, there are some uh, blog posts that relate to this. And, of course, my book, uh, When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, Spouse, or Aging Relative, is available.
0: And where would you find the book?
1: That book is really anywhere. You can find it online where books are sold at Amazon or through indie-bound stores, or you could even request it through brick-and-mortar brick stores locally.
0: And again, that's when caregiving calls guidance on as you care for a parent, spouse, or aging relative. Uh, as you think about the field that you ended up in, Aaron, what was it you were doing before you switched careers?
1: I actually worked in national health care policy. At the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, I was a, a healthcare policy guy. So I was it? I was at the thirty thousand foot level, and I was I was writing healthcare policy for elderly and disabled people. But if I'm being honest, Ron, I, I didn't know a lot about what it meant to be elderly or disabled at that time of my life because I really hadn't experienced it.
0: And what have you learned since wow. about being elderly and disabled?
1: Well, you know, we're all going to get there. Unless, unless we're taken in a car accident or something really abrupt like that, uh, we are all looking to the future and we, we will become elderly and or disabled. And so there's a lot that we can learn from our, from, from our elders and from those that are experiencing these challenges right now. And being a caregiver for someone who has these types of conditions can really help you to prepare in your own life for what's going to happen.
0: Now you serve as an advisory board member on the Shenandoah Area Agency on Aging, and if folks don't know, uh, Aaron lives in the Shenandoah Valley, an absolutely gorgeous, breathtaking place uh, outside of Washington D.C. If you're going to pick a place to live, that's got to be a pretty good one.
1: It is a pretty good one. I got to I got to admit, Ron, I I do travel across the country and. It really helps me to appreciate home, because especially in the fall, it's just beautiful here.
0: Good place to live, except the neighbor with eight dogs.
1: Oh, <laughs> hopefully the neighbor's not listening. But, uh, yeah, the microphone's been silent on this episode, so I'm grateful for that.
0: Oh, that's good. Uh, and, and the uh, uh, Shenandoah Area Agency on Aging, there's an area agency on aging uh, in every county in the country. Here, it's the AAA, uh, the Bear County Area Agency on Aging what do you do there?
1: Well, I'm a member of the advisory board of the local area agency on aging where I live. But as you said, Ron, these exist all over the country. And so wherever your listeners live, they can access services and supports for their loved one in their local community through the area agency on aging. Uh, it also might be called an ADRC, Aging and Disability Resource Center. They're they're kind of uh, very similar but they offer things like uh, adult day programs, senior centers where people can go for activities. Uh, they do meals on wheels. You're probably familiar with that for, right. for low income uh, elderly adults who need some nutrition. They, they have that option. Um, they do have, some of them have caregiver support programs, which are wonderful. I've uh, been involved in a few of those across the country and they also help with, um, Vicap, which is um, insurance counseling, so there's a lot of questions that people have related to eligibility for Medicare, Medicaid, different types of programs, and the Area Agency on Aging can help you and your loved one navigate that uh, that maze of questions regarding insurance.
0: Now, some of our listeners may know the Lumet well, Cheryl Foundation has a website, Caregiver SOS org, which offers a variety of services, whether you're uh, a, a well-med patient or live in this community, it's online. It also has a variety of programs, including the teleconnection service where uh, using telephones and Zoom link, uh, a variety of topics are covered that affect caregiving. So uh, the Charitable Foundation provides a lot of those helps as well. Now, before we run out of time, Aaron, I, I want to come back to the beginning which is planning for that day you become a caregiver or suddenly you are one. Uh, Let's go back to the beginning and talk about what are the key issues that people need to address.
1: I think that one of the most important things Ron, to ask yourself as you're planning for caregiving is what are the goals and the objectives of your loved one? Um, If you're a family caregiver you really don't want to just take over their life you want to always be mindful of their independence their desires their wishes um what matters most to them so that any plan that is developed can be oriented around their priorities not your convenience necessarily and i hate to put it that way but it's you know that's that's a part of this what's convenient for you but um, for your loved one to be happiest, their wishes and their goals need to be factored into this significantly. So now that bottom that,
0: line, it's communication. You need yeah, to talk absolutely. to that person.
1: That's what I was going to say. Yes. So that, that could be a delicate conversation to have if you're trying to have it in advance. You know, nobody wants to talk about end of life or or death and things like that. But that's the only way really to to be able to plan successfully. And you don't wanna fight, you don't wanna argue, you don't wanna have end of life situations driving your family apart. I have seen families that are driven apart in these circumstances, and I have also seen families that are bound together. And it's actually a very beautiful thing when the families are bound together and they help one another navigate end of life caregiving.
0: Now, one thing my PCP, pushed me to do, and I did do, is to uh, complete uh, end-of-life planning and paperwork, Uh, everything from do I want a feeding tube, do I want to be resuscitated, Uh, where do I want to be cared for, do I want to uh, pass away at home or in a facility, all kinds of questions that uh, it it, it was certainly challenging uh, since knock wood. I'm not there yet by a long shot, uh, but I'm thankful that I was able to do that.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. Congratulations on getting that done. And hopefully your your family members know what the contents are of that plan for you.
0: Well, I gave a copy uh, to my wife. I talked about it. Uh, she's the designated uh, a medical power of attorney. Uh, and I, I wanted to be sure we were on the same page.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: But most families find that very difficult to do is what I hear you saying.
1: It can be a very sensitive topic. And so... You want to kind of approach it maybe maybe indirectly. One of the suggestions that I give sometimes is if there's an acquaintance or a a family friend that everyone knows and you've seen something that's happened to them in an end of life situation, you can kind of gently open the door and say, oh, you know, mom, I know that. This happened to, to Susie and, uh, you know, I, I was just thinking about her family and how, how they were prepared or not prepared for this. And what, what do you think about that? How, how prepared well, are Well, that's
0: you? perfect. I got to stop you right there. Flat out of time. Dr. Aaron, Bright, Light. Aaron Blight, I got it right now. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> you joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zernial and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air.